So you guys uh, get the old man this morning. Thanks for hanging out or letting me hang out. Uh, Augie is uh, away for some time, uh, some uh, recovery time. Bailey is uh, on his way back with uh, youth as they've had a great ski trip at, in Pagosa uh, at uh, uh, Winter Park. I'm sorry, at Wolf Creek, at Wolf Creek. And uh, it's hard not to have a fun time when you have an 80-inch base. Uh, amen. So some of us, uh, we're just going to put it out there. We're jealous, right? There's a little jealousy there. I was looking at the map with Bailey this last week of that ski resort. We used to take uh, adults uh, skiing from Dallas uh, to Wolf Creek years ago, and it was it was a pommel lift. There was two pommel lifts at Wolf Creek, and that's what all all there was. And we watched it grow into the uh, the mountain when they opened up the ungroomed section. And what fun it was to ski across the left and just come through the trees and the no groomed trails. That was just a blast. And now it's double that size on the map and it's crazy. I know they had a great time. Keep them in your prayers as they make their way back today. Um, uh, we are beginning now in January a bit of a series that uh, together Bailey Shera and I are uh, going to do this series in our, our own ways, but uh, it's kind of along the same track on what it is to be a missional church and what it is to be missional itself. Uh, and so we're going to throw that word out in front of you. You may have seen it in our newsletter. And if you didn't catch that newsletter article, um, then you might want to uh, uh, kind of find that online or on our website and and get caught up as to what we're trying to say, because this is going to be important coaching, we think, for uh, helping our church um, culture be ready to do what we feel called to do and helping our church culture be ready for what's uh, ahead of us in 20 and 2020. This is crazy. We are here. The calendar is ahead of us and uh, we have a lot of opportunity so um, when we use that word mission, uh, what we typically think is uh, overseas missions. That's where our brain kind of goes. We start thinking, well, missionaries, uh, long-term mission uh, kinds of things, uh, which, you know, if Jesus were to call and ask me to be a missionary, I would say, yeah, Jesus, I'll serve you and go wherever you want me to, but please don't send me to, how would you fill in that blank? Would, do you have some of those no-go places? And mine, I think for me, it used to would have been uh, New Mexico. Please don't send me to New Mexico. <laughs> and uh, I actually said that uh, about 20 years ago when the bishop called and said, Craig, we need you to move to New Mexico and serve a church there. And I said, no. I said, no. So the next day they called back and said, Craig, we still need you to go to New Mexico. And uh, we said yes. And those were nine excellent, important years for our family and for me. And so now I'm not afraid of New Mexico at all. And learn that we can serve Jesus wherever we go. And I hope that we get that today. Uh, when we follow this text, it's going to lead us down a trail that shows us what being missional uh, can become. But when we think of being missions, uh, doing missions, we, we think of missions and, 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 and uh, overseas missionaries. We have some actually who left yesterday from our church, uh, Keith and Brooks Rogers, Dr. Rogers, uh, pediatrician. Keith uh, runs a carpet store here in town. Uh, uh, they're in Honduras today and will be there for about 10 days. And that's and that's cool. Uh, and we, we also have, I don't know if you know, Chuck and Laura Hines. Chuck's on the air all the time, radio and TV and 
doing sports stuff. Laura is a, a, one of the key librarians at Tech, and uh, their, their daughter and son-in-law are uh, missionaries now. Long-term missionaries just went last uh, year, which is uh, two months ago, to uh, Thailand. Uh, nine months pregnant, had the baby over there. Um, that's being a missionary. All is good, and it's exciting to watch them work. But that's not what we mean when we talk about being uh, missional. Uh, the earliest church uh, set a missional pattern for us uh, that they learned from Jesus. And that's what we want to be able to get in our, our minds. What is that missional pattern? Their mission was to make disciples. So we're using that word mission more in terms of military, sent with a purpose, sent with a task. That's the mission. And that's the mission Jesus was faithful to. So the disciples learned this idea of being sent on mission from Jesus, sent with a task, sent with a purpose. And they seemed to stay on mission wherever they went. We talk about, a, we talk about it as a missional pattern. And there is a kind of a flow to that pattern. Uh, the word mission comes from the Latin word mitere, which means simply to be sent. And I would say, in this case, sent with a purpose. Uh, and the New Testament missional pattern was tied to God sending Christ to this world. As we get that, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him. We get that in John chapter 1, that the word became flesh, dwelt among us. That's God sending his son out into the world. But uh, uh, we, we also see that missional pattern playing out uh, in Jesus and how he coached the disciples. Because when you watch him, he is looking and listening to the human need. And then he is representing God's grace and love in that situation. And then he is connecting people to God and then connecting them to community. Okay, so I want to go through those four again because you're going to hear those four throughout the morning. The pattern is looking and listening to the human need. And it's all around us. Jesus was so good to paying attention to what was around him. And he would stop in the middle of a crowd and say, who touched me? Uh, or what can I do for you? When everybody was ignoring it, he was just so good about looking and listening to the human need. And then actually representing, being an ambassador for love and grace for that situation. Connecting that person to God and then connecting that person to a community of God. Those four things, I think, are the, the pattern that we get in the New Testament. Remember, Jesus started this pattern when he sent his disciples out. He gathered them together and said, uh, guys, I need you to break up into teams of two. <clears throat> you choose your guy. At that time, they were all guys. You choose your guy, and I want you to go out uh, to the villages. And here's what I want you to do. Um, you got to leave your cell phones at home, by the way. No distractions. Go to the villages and pray for people to be healed, cast out demons, and teach about the kingdom of God. That's what he, that's what he coached them to do. Anybody in? Would you be excited about casting out demons and praying for people's healing? Well, Jesus, you can send me everywhere. I would want to serve you, but please don't send me to cast out demons, right, is our reaction. And yet, those scared disciples went out and came back with amazing outcomes that blew them away. 
And this was Jesus pushing the envelope of their trust and their ability to live into the missional moments and that, let that pattern work in their lives. What's that pattern? Looking and listening for human need, actually representing love and grace in that situation, connecting people to God and connecting people to a community of faith. That's what they did. So the disciples went out. They did that. Uh, all, all was good. They learned that. It happened several times. We can see it in, in scriptures that even larger numbers of disciples, he would send them out. They would come back with stories. Even the demons obeyed us. That would be good. If our kids would obey us, it would be great. But even if the demons obey us, amen, that would be awesome. That's what the disciples said to Jesus. So all was good until the whole arrest, crucifixion, resurrection thing. And these disciples were growing, they were stretching, and they were getting it. But then the arrest, the crucifixion, and the resurrection hit. And did the disciples continue this same missional pattern? No. They huddled. They gathered out of fear. They were leaderless. They had no direction. They wondered what their purpose was now. They probably had some anger. We've given up everything. We followed him, and now he's gone. Um, we can reconstruct that. And yet, Pentecost Day comes. They're in the middle of their anxiety prayer. You know what anxiety prayers are where we're praying? I mean, you know you feel that anxiousness, that worry. They were praying out of worry. And in the middle of that time of prayer, the Spirit falls, and their prayer turns to worship and praise. It gets louder and louder, and it bursts out the windows. People in the streets hear it. You, you can read about this in Acts chapter 2. The people not only hear the praise of these disciples that is, is, is coming out of the walls, but they hear it in their own languages, and they they want some of that themselves. And it, the scripture says that, that Peter stands up and preaches and that 3,000 people come to faith that day. So we begin a missional pattern all over again. And letting those people come into faith and into community and being connected to God. What we see then in the whole book of Acts is a string of story after story of that same missional pattern. Peter and John going to the temple to pray. They're just going to church on the way. They're looking and listening. There's a man who's, who's lame, begging for handouts. He's at Quaker and 50th Street uh, on their way to church. And they look and they listen, asking for help. He said, they said, what, what, what you're asking for we don't have, but what we do have will give to you. So in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. I don't know how it works, but he stands up and walks, and he begins to praise God himself. And that whole story creates a drama that lasts two whole chapters in the book of Acts, if you can read it. But it helped not only that man, but other people come to faith in Jesus. And so you can see, looking and listening, representing grace and love, Connecting people to God and connecting them to a community of faith. Philip, walking through the desert, runs into an Ethiopian who is reading. This is a foreigner who is visiting, and he's reading through the Old Testament scriptures. What would have been the Torah? He's reading the prophets, and he had questions, and he just asked him 
Uh, can you explain this stuff to me? And Philip, looking and listening, sees the opportunity, represented grace and truth, our love to this, to this man, leads him to faith in Christ, tells him the story, and sends him out to start the community of faith in Ethiopia. Do you get the strategy there? Now, not only did Philip follow the missional pattern, but he sends someone into a foreign land with a faith that blossoms. By the way, one of the strongest early parts of Christian movements were in northern Africa, from Alexandria across the top of, of, of Africa. Those are some of the strongest outposts of our faith historically. So you, you never know as you're helping someone come to that connection with God, connection to the, to the family of God, that uh, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, we see that that same missional pattern is something God has asked us to, to step into and be a part of. And uh, when, when uh, we get to chapter 9 of Acts, we run into um, Saul who has been ravaging the Christian movement as a Pharisee, persecutor and prosecutor, and is on his way to Damascus. You remember the story. He's got a list, uh, and he's going to go arrest some of these people. Ananias' name probably was on that list. And on the way, he's confronted by Jesus. Jesus confronts him and says, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, well, what do you mean? Uh, why, how have I persecuted me? And, he, and, and they have this, this conversation time and it leaves Paul blinded. So now this person who is in control, who is powerful, uh, who's got a list, is now powerless and blind and helpless. Somehow Saul makes his way to Judah's house in Damascus. And it's there at Judah's house, helpless, powerless, blind, and in some kind of spiritual transition, that Jesus visits Ananias. Now, I don't know what Ananias' situation was. I kind of picture he's in his easy chair, got his big screen TV going, maybe watching the Saints win. Uh, that's a prophecy for this afternoon, by the way. Um, but, but everything's good for Ananias. Jesus visits him and says, hey, I need you to go visit this Saul. I can picture Saul saying, you know, Jesus, I, I love you. I'll, I'll serve you. I'll go wherever you want. But please, everywhere except for Saul. And the scripture tells us that he comes up with every excuse he could think of. Don't you know who this is? Do you still really want me to go there? And Jesus says, go. Because he's an instrument I want to use an instrument that I want to use to be able to reach the whole Mediterranean. He's going, to, he's going to lead kings to the faith. I think it's powerful to watch that play out because Saul finally says yes, and he goes, and he is faithful. When he goes, feel this flow. He looks and listens. What does he find? He finds a Saul who is helpless, blind, powerless and spiritually receptive just show me something and so he leads Saul into faith in Christ 
He leads Saul into healing, prays over him, and he's healed. The Holy Spirit falls on his life. He's, he's baptized right there. Scripture says that he begins a new chapter. We know that chapter because it fills the rest of the book of Acts. And half of the New Testament was written by the same guy because Ananias was faithful to look and listen for the human need to represent grace and love in the midst of that situation, to connect Saul to God and connect Saul to a community of faith. And that's the missional pattern Jesus is calling us to where we are. He's not sending us to Africa. Africa would be cool. I'd take my camera there. We could have fun. But he's not sending us there per se. He's sending us into the networks that we're already connected to so that we can look and listen, so that we can represent love and, and grace and connect people to God and connect them to the community of God. I believe that that's what he's called us to do. And when we look at this new year, we have an opportunity. Sometimes we see a new year and we see it as an obstacle, but the truth is it's, it's 365 days of opportunity. And who is he sending you to? And what have been your excuses so far? And how can we take the boldness of Ananias, the, the Ananias model, and step through that fear and worry and into the possibilities of God working through us this year? And not just us individually, but us collectively as a church. He's sending us out. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us know that we're on the team today, that you would help us trust that our place on your team is already solid. You've already forgiven us, loved us, accepted us. You put your spirit inside of each one of us. You're ready to use us in ways that even we don't know. I pray that you would help us today become so filled with that spirit that we work past our fears and step into some of those human need situations and represent your love and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We come to this meal as a time for us to remember. This is a meal of grace. The grace has already been poured into us. It's a, it's a memory of Jesus. But today it's important for us to see it's not just what he did, it's how he stayed on mission. There were people saying, Jesus, why don't you just do this? Uh, even his family said, Jesus, come back home because, you know, people are, don't like what you're doing, what you're saying. But Jesus stayed on mission. When it got tough, he could have just quit. But no, he said, not my will, but your will be done. And so he stayed on mission. And that's what this meal is about because it became his body that was broken. And it became his blood that was poured out for us. All because Jesus stayed on mission. And that's how... The kingdom is launched. Today when you come, I want you to take the bread and take the and dip it into the chalice and receive. I want you to know it's the body and the blood of Christ 
But I also want you to say, Jesus, thank you for, for your faithfulness. Thank you for working through your fears. Thank you for being, being true to your mission. And as you take that morsel, I pray that you will say, Jesus, I'm ready to be on mission for you this year. I want to, I want to step out into the missional need in my family, my community, at work, in my circles. I'm ready to be on mission for you. That's our call today. And so those who are going to serve, would you please come at this time? As they're coming, I want to remind you that we receive by intention. So just come and take a piece of bread, dip it in the chalice and receive. The altar rail is available for you to kneel and stop and pray. Maybe this is a good time to leave some stuff behind. Don't forget to put your, your connect cards and your offering in the basket. And as you receive and as you come, let's let this be a time of giving ourselves to being on mission with him. Father, we ask that this now becomes the body and blood of Christ and that we are the community of Christ and that you would enable us to go reach our world in your name. Amen. Would you come?